You know, the graduates, they, they triumphed over a lot of hurdles to make it to this, as students did, especially this past year, but tests and papers and assignments and all that. Um, and uh, if you participate in uh, school activities or community activities, then usually it's competitive, whether you're on a sports team or in, in this case, this was the forensic team from the high school, McPherson High School. And uh, they took state this year as they competed against all the other, yeah. <clears throat> and so they, they competed well and they triumphed over the competition. Well, in the same way, last week we looked at how Jesus triumphed over his enemy while he hung on the cross. And his enemy being Satan, who would like to discourage us and defeat us and accuse us and... Uh, uh, just oppress us. And Colossians 2 tells us from last week, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And then Hebrews 2 uh, has, a, has a verse similar. It says that by his death, Jesus, he might destroy the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So Jesus triumphed over his enemy, the destroyer of humanity. But if Jesus destroyed and triumphed over Satan while he hung on the cross, then why in the world does Satan seem to have so much pick and power these days in our world? Not only in the world, he wreaks havoc in churches and in Christian families. If Jesus indeed destroyed and disarmed Satan, why? Well, Satan has been stripped of his power while he hung on the cross, his power over believers, but he has not been yet annihilated. That will come at a later time, at the end of the world. Like a master chess player playing a novice, after just a few moves, Jesus had already won the game. He had already uh, determine the outcome. It's only a matter of time when Jesus will knock over his enemy and say checkmate for the final time. But the game has already been established and Jesus is the victor. Or like a guerrilla warfare soldier, Satan knows that he and his army, evil army, they've been defeated and they no longer possess any power over believers. So they must resort to sneaking around and deception illegally, like a guerrilla warfare soldier, using the power of deception and accusation. Uh, in fact, uh, the word Satan in Hebrew means accuser. Satan is the accuser of the believers. Satan has no more power over believers except, except for the power of his tongue to deceive us and to accuse us, but he can't touch us. So why does God allow Satan to continue to tempt us and accuse us and discourage us. Why is Satan free to roam this earth still? For one reason. And that reason is to give us on-the-job training. We are being trained for when we will co-reign with Christ for all eternity. We have already overcome him as well, but we're in training to learn how to overcome our enemy. Um, 
Jesus gave his disciples this kind of on-the-job training even when he was on earth with his disciples as a precursor to what he's given to us. When he sent out his disciples in pairs, instructing them to heal the sick and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And we read in Luke 10 that when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us. And we use, uh, when we use your name, yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them, and nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because the evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. You are a part of God's eternal family. Rejoice over that. Well, we too must learn how to walk in Christ's victory as overcomers um, until the day that we enter into our permanent home with him in the new heaven and new earth. But for now, we live in between the two words that Jesus spoke. One on the cross when he said, it is finished. And then at the end of time, Revelation 21, when he says, it is done. Satan, you're done. So how can we learn to live as overcomers and walk in victory and exercise our authority that we have been given? For that, we turn to Colossians chapter 3. We overcome first by setting our hearts and minds on things above, as was already read. Colossians 3.1, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We're told in this first verse that we've been raised with Christ, where Christ is seated. Christ is sitting down because he's a ruler over the universe. He's one. He no longer has to work and stand but he, he, is sit, he is seated, establishing his reign. Ephesians 2, 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. Do you understand what this is saying? He's saying Christ is seated, but we have been raised up with Christ, and we, in the spiritual sense, are seated with Christ. In other words, we have won the victory along with Christ as well, with his, his authority. I don't fully understand this, but this is what we're told in God's word. We've been raised with Christ. Um, Satan is like a homeless squatter in, in one of our homes, our property, for example. He's there illegally. He doesn't live there, but he sneaks in there and he's squatting there. And you, you can say to him, hey, Satan, you do not belong on my property, in my house, in my life. In the name of Jesus, I command you to leave. By his authority that Jesus granted unto me, I command you to leave in the name of Jesus. I take captive every thought of your deception and I make it obedient to Jesus Christ. And the blood of Christ has set me free. Or Satan is like a cockroach. Um, on occasion, when we lived in Chicago in the seminary houses, when there was an apartment below ours, then a cockroach would come up in our kitchen. It was gross. <laughs> but the cockroach would flee when we flicked on the light, and, and out the door into the darkness. Satan is like a cockroach. 
when we turn on the light of Jesus, Jesus, I call upon you, then Satan must flee. James tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Do you understand how much authority you've been given in Christ? Colossians 3.1, set your hearts on things above. Two, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. This word set is a word for intentionality, like you set your alarm clock every night. It's very intentional because you don't want to oversleep. Set your hearts and minds, your affections and your thoughts on things above, on the eternal kingdom of God matters, not on earthly things, which would be the temporal things, temporary not like, how can I get the most out of this life? How can I become the most prosperous and, and experience the most comfort and wealth and power in my life? And that way I can own the world and I can be, you know, if that's our pursuit, then we'll miss out on what Jesus is talking about. Jesus told the parable of a rich man who was so blessed with his abundant crops that he invested in his future in this way, Luke 12. Jesus said, The man says, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus of grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life and eat and drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich Toward God. If we focus on all that we can get out of this life, then it'd be like focusing on like the preface of a big thick novel or the Bible. How many have a Bible? You open up to the first page and there's this this preface of table of contents, and then you just spend days and weeks and months and years memorizing the table of contents. And that's what we do when we focus on the earth, the one page out of the rest of our eternity. He says, focus on eternity, not on this temporary life, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Um, But how can we possibly think about eternal things all the time? I mean, yay, I'm forgiven. Guess what? I'm going to heaven. Oh, come with me. I'm going to heaven. You know, we don't skip around life doing that. That's not, doesn't seem wise or frugal to do that. If I were to mow my lawn or build a shed or plant a garden or play a round of golf, am I not focusing on earthly, temporal things, things that will fade away into oblivion? When Paul wrote, set your minds on things above, he didn't mean, you know, just quit your jobs and then meditate and lift your head and look up in the sky and think about heaven. He meant what Jesus taught in the Lord's Prayer when Jesus said, pray this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not going up to the kingdom of God, it's bringing the kingdom of God down to earth. And that's what we're to do. That's how we're to be kingdom-minded. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Um, Billy Graham would often be invited to play golf by celebrities and politicians, and, and he'd take, take them up on it. I remember seeing him golf on occasion. And do you think that Billy Graham went golfing and accepted the invitation because he wanted to improve his golf swing or because he wanted to gain or lower handicap? I highly doubt it. 
But Billy Graham went golfing because he wanted to enrich his, his relationships with those who invited him. He wanted to invest in them, invest the kingdom of God, and build, build his influence for Christ into their lives. Colossians 3.17, Paul says, whatever you do, whether it be golfing or planting a garden or doing whatever, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this longest point of the sermon is we overcome our enemy by setting our hearts and our minds on things above, on the kingdom of God issues. Otherwise, we'll walk in defeat. Secondly, we will overcome our enemy by knowing our source of victory, our source of authority. Verse 3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. If we're to overcome our enemy, we need to know that Christ is our life. He's our source of strength and our source of self-control. He is our protector. He is our victory. He is our authority. We don't just live for God. We have God the Son living in us, God the Spirit. Um, and so many believe that overcoming the enemy is choosing to live right and, you know, I'm going to live a good moral life and then God will, of course, then take me to heaven one day. I'll be a good person and kind. That's what I thought Christianity was for my first many years of life. Just be a good person and, you know, I'm better than that person. And, um, and Paul addresses this misunderstanding of Christianity in, at the end of chapter 2 when he taught, uh, as, as the legalistic teachers taught that, he said, do not handle is what you say. Do not taste. Do not touch. These rules which you have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are all based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, but with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. In other words, being a really good boy or girl lacks any strength or power to combat the enemy. Sensual indulgence, temptation. Following these external rules will never empower us, but knowing Christ will, our source of victory. The secret for overcoming Satan is not about imitation, it's about inhabitation, him living within us. We cannot produce spiritual fruit. We can only bear the fruit of the spirit that lives within us. It's the spirit of God that produces the fruit. We only bear it just like a tree or a branch bears the fruit of a trunk or of the vine. Um, and sometimes we think we have to bear, uh, produce the fruit of the spirit, which would be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all these things. It's Christ who produces this fruit. We simply bear what he produces. I love this statement. I use this all the time. Jesus gave his life to, for us to give his life to us to live his life through us. We lived the changed life by the exchanged life. It's the life of Christ given to us. As we give him our sin, he gives us 
his life. So we will overcome by, um, by knowing our source of victory. And then thirdly, we will overcome by remembering our identity. Our identity, verse 3. Our lives are hidden with Christ and God. And I've done this for two weeks in a row. If you haven't been here, I'm using my ring this week. Filled with nicks and dings because I'm a drummer and I go dee 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 dee. Um, but nonetheless, it's still valuable. But if you look at it, you think, eh, I wouldn't buy it. It's too scratched up. But our lives are hidden with Christ in God. We are hidden, we're protected, we're covered by the righteousness of Christ. And, and when God looks at us, he doesn't see us in our nicks and dings and sins and shortcomings. He sees the righteousness of Christ covering us. And so that is our identity. We are hidden with Christ in God, verse 6. But what about this? Because of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. Okay, wait a minute. Satan is the accuser of the believers, and he likes to plant thoughts in our heads like, you are worthless. You are faithless. You are hopeless. You deserve God's wrath because you, even as a pastor, you're disobedient to God. How can he bless you and use you? I might be thinking, if people knew my hidden behavior, someone might say, uh, my, my hid, what I do in secret, like my sec- I'm a secret drunk, or I'm a secret pervert, or I'm a secret addict, or I'm a secret loose cannon, or public loose cannon. I'm an angry and bitter person. Frankly, I am a fake. I deserve God's wrath. That's what Satan wants us to think. And he whispers those thoughts in our head all the time. Isn't that what Paul said? I'm disobedient, right? Because of the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. I'm disobedient. That's not what Paul was saying. If you were to study the verb tense of the words in here, um, the disobedient would be the children of disobedience. Those who are disobedient are those who intentionally reject the will of God, who refuse to believe in God despite the evidence that God sets before them. That's who the disobedient are, those who continuously disobey and shove God out of their lives. The disobedient implies obstinacy and constancy, which means continually in other words, the, the children of disobedience are those who are not saved, those who are refusing Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's not us who sometimes sin, because we are in Christ and we're hidden in Christ with God. In Christ we are no longer sinners, Colossians 3, 7. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. That's in the past tense. Yeah, you used to be enemies of God. You used to have God's wrath upon you when you lived apart from him, the way you once lived, that's in the past tense. But now, you have died. Your sinful nature have di- has died and your life is now hidden with Christ. We're hidden with Christ. In other words, we're not sinners saved by grace. We are saints who sometimes sin. We're covered in God's righteousness. And that's what saints mean, righteous ones. Also in Christ, we are God's workmanship. And the word for workmanship is masterpiece. We're complete in Christ. I thought of this illustration this morning, and I tried it out in the first. I'm not sure if it works too well, but sometimes we think, you know, out of 100, I'm like a 1% righteous. 
I don't deserve to go to heaven. I'm a $1 bill, you know, one out of 100. So I'm going to go to hell for sure. But someone might think, you know, I got 5%. I'm about 5% good, and I'm probably not on a good path either. Then others might say, you know, you know, I do 10%. I go to church. I give my tithe. You know, I'm 10% good, and so I think God will see my good deeds. You know, I, yeah, I mess around some. But others will say, I'm 50%. And have, I don't have a $50 bill, but pretend. I'm 50% good, and certainly, certainly my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. 51%, I'm on my way to God for eternity. Well, the issue is, though, we have to be 100%, this $100 bill. We have to be 100% righteous to get to heaven. God says, you don't even come close. You don't come close. But when you're covered by my son, Jesus Christ, who is sinless, and when you receive him in your life, then guess what? He makes you 100% righteous. And that, that is who fits you for heaven. Remembering our identity in Christ. But then you think, yeah, but still, even, I know I'm 100%, okay, I'm, I'm covered in, in, in Christ's blood, that's good. That's, but I still sin, and I'm still faithless, and I'm still hopeless, and I'm still inconsistent, and I still look at me. I'm just a wrinkled mess, you know, I just messed up again. And look at, now I wandered in the dirt of sin, and Satan's just wallowing, you know, I'm wallowing in this, and this $100 bill, I'm so useless, so, I mean, who would want this $100 bill now that it's, you would, Ron? Okay, here you go. Forget it. No way. This is still $100, even though it's wrinkled and dirty and feeling pretty bad about itself. It's still very valuable. We don't lose our value because we have Christ covering us, within us and covering us. Um, and that's our identity. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is God and the new has come. So we're not complete. I'm sorry, we're not mature yet, maybe. We look like this, but we're complete. We're like those little green apples. Like I said last week, if you look at a little green apple, they are complete. They're what they'll always be. They're just not fully grown yet. We're in the process of being sanctified we continue to grow, have patience, we're in progress. A couple more short points. We then overcome our enemy by taking off the old self. This is very practical. Once we know who we are in Christ, we'll want to put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to our earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices. You've put to death this old nature. You've taken off your old self with its practices. But I thought we died already. Why do we have to put it off if we died to sin? Well, we died to sin, but sin didn't die to us. Sin is still out there. Satan is still out there trying to tempt us, discourage us. Defeat us. Um, it's sort of like a man who turned south in his life and he found himself living on the streets and he, he just begged, borrowed, stealed, whatever he, stole whatever he could uh, to get, fill his belly. And one day he was in a back alley and this, this restaurant owner uh, of a really fancy restaurant happened to peek out the alley and saw this man diving in the dumpster, you know, trying to find scraps of food. 
And the guy said, hey, sir, uh, excuse me, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, man. I'm just really hungry and I need some food and I'm so sorry. Hey, sir, this is what, this, this what I'm going to do for you. Come on into my restaurant. I'll feed you from the buffet. I mean, it's any kind of meat you want. It's yours. Come on in. Oh, really? Dude, thank you. So he goes in and he chows. He just, he pigs out on his food and, and he loves it. But then this restaurant owner said, I'm a generous guy. Hey, hey, sir, listen, I got an apartment upstairs here and it's empty and I want you to live there if you want to live there. And furthermore, there's a closet full of clothes there and, and they're yours. You could change your clothes and, and put on some clean clothes. And, and the guy said, ah, thanks, man. But after that day, this homeless man is not to be found. He's gone. Three weeks later, same restaurant owner peeks his head out the back, and this guy's diving in the dumpster with smelly clothes on, looking for rancid, spoiled food once again. Sometimes that's how we live as Christians. Uh, we have been given everything in Christ, all the resources from the kingdom of God, and yet we wander around like homeless uh, trying to find scraps of food from this earth. Um, God got our attention at one time, and he invited us into a new life. He offered us the bread of life. He clothed us with brand new clothes of his son's righteousness. He promised us shelter and provision, but we just can't believe it's true. And so we don't receive it. We don't appropriate it. Or, or we feel we don't deserve it. And so we return to our old habits and patterns from our former life. But that's not who we are anymore. We're deceived into thinking that's who we are. We're not. We are new creatures in Christ. We need to take off the old self. And the final thing I'm going to say is we need to put on our new selves, created to be like Christ Jesus. Here there's no Jew or Gentile circumcised or uncircumcised, barbian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. In other words, Jesus says, I, I want to make you like myself as you renew yourself in the knowledge of the image of your creator. That's a sanctification process. But we must put it on. We must appropriate it. Sort of like this cartoon, Jesus is saying, hey, just trust me. Man, I got something good for you. But I love it, God, and you want to hold on to what you have of this earth. This is all I got, this temporary thing. God says, oh, I got something so much better. But you got to trust in Jesus. And when you do so, you'll be blessed. You might think in Colossians 3.12, God says, Therefore, as my chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If anyone has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. But you might think, I can't forgive. I can't be patient with that jerk. Are you kidding me? They don't deserve it. And besides, even if I tried to, I, I, I won't feel it. It won't be real. I don't have the strength to forgive a person like that. And the answer to that is you don't. And I don't either. But Christ does in you. And he lives his life through you as you abide in him. We will be empowered to put off the old life, to put on the new life by trusting in him. And also, he says, I give you my, the body of Christ. 
You also need accountability if you're struggling with something in your life. We need to pray for each other. We need to confess to one another, hold each other up. And with those two resources, the body of Christ and the Spirit of God, then he says, I will give you, lead you to freedom. So we can choose to move into our new room upstairs. We can choose to check out the closet filled with brand new clothes of Christ's attributes. We can come and feast on God's banquet of his promises, his provisions, his sustenance, his strength. And the more we taste and see that the Lord is good, the less we'll desire the things we used to be, the things we used to pursue for life and death. Eventually, we, it'll be easy to say no to these counterfeits. And then, without even knowing it, we'll begin to look more and more like Jesus, live in victory. We'll begin to overflow his traits and characteristics of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, self-control and love. We'll even be able to forgive that jerk. You think, hey, where did that come from? How can I love my enemy and forgive that jerk? Man, it doesn't come natural. It isn't natural, it's supernatural. Because you're allowing him to flow through you. Over all these things, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The more we become like Jesus, the more fruit we will bear, fruit of the Spirit. And it will come naturally, even without us knowing it. And that's how we will defeat our enemy. That's how Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. And he gave us his authority. And we learn to walk as overcomers by doing these five things again. And there's a lot there, I know. Um, There's a lot in the chapter. But we need to set our minds and our hearts on things above we need to know who our source of victory is it's not moral living it's a person jesus we need to remember who we are in christ that we're covered we're righteous we are saints uh, so that we don't believe these accusations of the enemy we need to take off our old self which has died with christ and we're raised to new self put on our new self empowered by the spirit to become more and more like jesus That's how we defeat our enemy in Colossians 3. Let's pray. Lord, there was so much in this chapter. It could have been probably preached in two sermons, Lord. Uh, But I pray, God, that whatever you want us to retain in our hearts and our minds this morning, I pray, Lord Jesus, that uh, we'll take home that one nugget today so that we can uh, learn to walk in victory, Lord. Learn to walk... as the person that you have created us to be because of your resurrected uh, body and spirit. And so, Lord, live through us, I pray, as we continue to uh, depend on you. In Christ's name, amen.